Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. Joined as always by Colby Powell. We're taping on a Tuesday. Sorry for the one day delay, but we had to get all situated from uh, Super Bowl weekend. I had some stuff pop up, so we appreciate you joining us here on a Tuesday. Colby, how was the weekend for you? Oh, it was good, man. Good Super Bowl. I was fired up to watch the game Sunday night. Ended up kind of being a dud, but we got one great Oklahoma State basketball game and uh, one kind of clunker in between when we last recorded. So all in all, pretty good weekend. Yeah, typical OSU basketball, right? Uh, two steps forward, two steps backward. Uh, just kind of they can get a big win and then they, they tend to lay an egg in the next time out. We're going to get to the Kansas game that happened last night. Obviously, that double overtime thriller against Texas. And we're going to kind of review the Super Bowl that was. And I want to get Colby's insight on how he hedged the Super Bowl. It sounded like with Tampa winning, it was a successful hedge. So he, yep. he's a sharp, sharp mind. So take his advice on all things gambling. But first, let's get to Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's. It's freezing outside we're not gonna get above freezing for like the next two weeks here in oklahoma so you're gonna need all the hoodies all the outerwear head to chris's and that's your one-stop cowboy shop for some osu apparel so get to chris's and we appreciate uh, them sponsoring the pod as always so big monday eight o'clock tip and in, in a virtually empty allen field house by its standards oklahoma state loses to kansas Colby, this was a, uh, a frustrating game on, on many, for many reasons. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where to start. I guess we have to start with the fact that, you know, Cade Cunningham uh, really goes nuclear once again in the second half. I believe 21 of his 26 points are in the second half. But, again, his first half struggles continued, and uh, Kansas just – I thought really beat up Oklahoma State inside with, with McCormick. I think that was a bit of a coaching mishap as well. But just kind of your overall thoughts uh, as we get into the Kansas game. Yeah, you know, I thought Kansas really kind of just played a better brand of basketball than Oklahoma State last night. Oklahoma State, not a great three-point shooting team. Let it fly 26 times from beyond the arc. Kansas, on the other hand, was just 5 of 15 from three. And, and, you know, Oklahoma State was able to get up a few more shots than Kansas was, but it didn't end up mattering because Kansas uh, was more efficient from the floor, shot about seven percentage points higher from the floor than Oklahoma State did. And they really made an effort to get the ball inside, especially to McCormick and Oklahoma State. Just they don't have any for that matchup. I, I was on the phone yesterday afternoon with my dad and I told him, look, I, I wouldn't expect much tonight. Oklahoma State's coming off a double overtime game. They've had one day off after that two OT game against the top six team in the country. They had to travel to Lawrence in the time being. And now they have to go play what I think is probably the most motivated Kansas team you'll see all year. Because what did Kansas hear about yesterday for eight hours before they took the court? All they heard about all day long was how they, them, that group of guys is the first group at Kansas since 2009 to be unranked at any point. So I just thought it was a, a really bad spot for Oklahoma State coming off the double overtime game and having to play a Kansas team that clearly went out there with something to prove last night. So not a game I thought Oklahoma State was going to win. It, it was still frustrating the way it played out, but I don't think that this one, uh, you, you know, I'm not sitting here thinking this one hurts you quite like I I thought about the TCU game last week. This is a game that you probably 
probably were supposed to lose. I mean, you were six, Oklahoma State was a six and a half point underdog going in. You were probably supposed to lose. You get the next two against weaker opponents, and, and you'll be all right. Yeah, I, I, I think your point is accurate about the, the bad spot. And again, a double overtime, one day to prepare. And I think, I think it showed just in the way the game played out. I mean, OSU took 26 three-pointers. And I think to me, and that's way above what they have been doing in recent, in recent games. To me, that's a clear indication of fatigue, right? I mean, you're, you're way less apt to drive to the rim when you're gas. You're just going to pull up for threes. I thought they fell into that trap quite a bit. It was one of those games, too. I thought Rondell Walker, he was 0 of 7 from the field, 0 of 4 from 3. And, and all four of his threes were catch, time to set, wide open shots. They just didn't go in. It was kind of one of those games in terms of, you know, shots just weren't going in from three. But I did think the lack of a layoff for them really played into how they, they played the game. But to your point about the, the post defense, I think, you know, I I think Mike Boynton deserves some criticism this year. And I think this was a real coaching gaffe on his part. Caleb Boone played four minutes in the second half. Mike Boynton chose to go small. It worked early. Bill Self had to adjust. But Bill Self adjusted by saying, we're going to dump it down on the block to McCormick every single time down the floor because you have Isaac Likely on him with Cade helping on the backside. I just thought he did not, for whatever reason, he said, I guess Mike Boynton said after the game, he didn't think Boone's defense was where it needed to be, so he kept him off the floor. But he physically is the only one capable of even matching up with McCormick, and yet he only played four minutes in the second half. To me, that was a huge coaching error. Yeah, and I actually didn't hear Mike Boynton say that after the game, so I'm glad you brought that up because I was really confused watching the second half, as I imagine a lot of Oklahoma State fans were, because Caleb Boone is coming off what I think was the best game of his career Saturday against Texas. I thought he was the MVP of that game against Texas. And, look, I knew going in last night that McCormick would be a tough matchup for him, but when you take Caleb Boone off the floor, you're now left underneath with Matthew Alexander Moncrief and Cade Cunningham were the two guys trying to guard McCormick. I mean, Isaac likely took some turns on him there in the second half, but it really just wrecked Oklahoma State, and it got him uh, into a little bit of foul trouble there where Kansas was able to get in the bonus a little bit earlier in that game than Oklahoma State was. Oklahoma State had 24 fouls to 15 for Kansas, and I've just got to say, Carson, look, Oklahoma State, I, I think, was going to lose that game last night for all the reasons that I mentioned. They were outplayed by Kansas. There's no doubt about that. But I think we'd be remiss if we just didn't mention once again that I thought the officiating was poor, inconsistent, and I, you just you never knew what was coming. There was a foul called against Rondell Walker in the second half uh, on the, the left low block, kind of over by the left corner, where the guy drove. The guy kind of put his wrist basically in – Rondell Walker's midsection, and they called a foul on Rondell, and that's all that was there. I watched I watched the replay like 10 times on Twitter, and I couldn't figure out what they were seeing. So, again, I think Oklahoma State was going to lose that game regardless, but it is, it's tough to watch college officiating sometimes. Here's a uh... – This is Cade Cunningham driving to the rim. I mean, steel chairs to the head. There were no fouls called. And again, I, I'm not here to blame the officials either. But how many times did Kay drive to the rim and just get clobbered? A bunch. And not get a foul call? Like, he was visibly frustrated. Let me free throws Kay shot. Kay shot eight. Uh, no, pardon me. Kay shot 10 free throws in that game last night. He could have shot probably 18. Yes. And again, like, 
I'm fine with you not calling that if you're not calling touch fouls on the other end, which there was a foul uh, that likely kind of held McCormick on the block, which maybe was a foul, but they're calling that and they're not calling just him getting clotheslined at the rim. And there was one case where he had, Kate had three straight shots at the rim was fouled on all three and they finally called the third one and he made the bucket and got the foul. So it was extremely frustrating just watching the game. So you can take the fans out of Allen Fieldhouse, but you can't take the officials out of Allen Fieldhouse. I thought that was a very poorly officiated game. So, yeah, so too. And, and just real quick to go back to your point with Mike Boynton and some of the decisions that he made defensively last night, uh, Bernard Kuma and Caleb Boone combined to play 27 minutes in that game. I, I'm assuming I can't remember exactly, but I don't think there was any overlap there. I think that those were staggered minutes between Caleb and Kuma. So that means that there were 13 minutes last night where your biggest player on the floor was either Cade Cunningham or Matthew Alexander Moncrief. And I think he got Oklahoma State in a lot of trouble last night. Also, I, I think you could pretty much tell that MA wasn't 100% physically. Zero points uh, for Matthew Alexander Moncrief. Didn't even attempt a shot. Had two rebounds in nine minutes. So I think the, the decision to keep Boone off the floor, some of the physical limitations I think MA was playing with last night, and then just some of the limitations that Bernard Kuma has, it was just a... a drastic mismatch inside for Oklahoma State yeah I mean the the inside presence for OSU has obviously been a problem you know all year when when Caleb Boone's not been effective and I couldn't help but think of of your and a when I was watching the game against Kansas Colby you know he's he's averaging 17 minutes per game off the bench at SMU he was a you know preseason all big 12 guy and I don't know it just it didn't work out with him I think he I read a story where he he basically decided to transfer because he wanted a new scenery. He said, quote, Stillwater is kind of boring, which I didn't I didn't know he said that until I found this article. I didn't know he said that either. And I think uh, that uh, he was scared, I think, of the uh, – obviously the NCAA sanctions at first. And he also says, you know, Stillwater is boring, needed a new coaching staff, new whatever. So obviously there was something going wrong behind the scenes with uh, the team. And Mike Boynton was quoted back when he transferred that – he wanted players with two feet in and, but he was surprised that your decided to transfer, but that loss was just crucial because we all know the shot blocker that your and a was, he obviously really developed offensively, but his departure Colby has really just left them really with, with Caleb Boone inside. And when you only play Caleb Boone four minutes in the second half, you, you saw the result. Yeah, you did. And, and it's one of those things where, Caleb Boone, obviously, I think Cade Cunningham is the most valuable member of this team. I think without Cade Cunningham, they probably wouldn't be where they are. But, man, I think Caleb Boone is a clear number two just because he's the only one at that position with that size. And we've seen how different this team has looked when he's played well and when he's played poorly. And it's it's really been hot and cold lately. He had that little stretch there where Cade was out where he put two or three really nice games together. But then he had the absolute clunker against TCU last Wednesday, one of the worst games of the season. Then he plays maybe the game of his career on Saturday against Texas, absolutely dominated, and then throws out another clunker the other night against Kansas. Wasn't as bad as the TCU game last week. Caleb Boone in 18 minutes still had eight points, four rebounds, and four blocks. So I, like you, thought that he should have seen some more minutes last night, just especially with the, the way Moncrief was struggling. If Moncrief was bringing you more, maybe I get it, but I, I think that Caleb Boone should have gotten more minutes last night. I agree. What'd you make of uh, Cade's performance? I thought, 
I thought he was pretty sensational there in the second half. Some of the passes he was making were just out of this world good. The alley-oop he had on the pick and roll to Caleb Boone oh, yeah. in that game was, was unbelievable. He was just immense in the second half. And I can't fault him for his performance. Obviously, you, you want to see more out of him early in games. Fran Fraschilla talked about that extensively in the broadcast. But I just thought Cade, to me, showed every skill that he has and really why he's – He's ready right now for the NBA. Just his all-around game at six foot eight was was remarkable. What would you make of, of his performance? Yeah, I think that he had a lot of passes in that second half that he slung, you know, double team comes and he kicks it out to the wing. Bryce Williams, Rondell Walker, and Farron Flavors went a combined two for 13 from beyond the arc. Rondell Walker was 0 for 4. He was actually 0 for 7 from the floor. It's going to happen. I mean, he's, he's a true freshman. He comes in. He's not going to light it up every single game. But obviously last night was a rough one. One point for Rondell, only three points for Bryce, and five points for Farron Flavors. So those three guys, the three guys who you really need to be able to shoot the ball, didn't even combine to get to 10 points. And I thought that that was uh, a lot of the possessions that Oklahoma State really lost in the second half. Well, pretty good looks that just weren't going down. I think maybe some of that, you could argue, goes back to having tired legs from playing the two-overtime game on Saturday and having to deal with the travel. But I thought Cade was great in that game. I mean, 26 on the road now in Fieldhouse. Yes, it took him 18 shots to get there. But I do think we saw Cade Cunningham at about the 13 or 14-minute mark of the second half. I think we kind of saw him go into a more offensive mode because I think at that moment he realized, you know, some of the other guys out here just don't have it tonight. And at some point, whenever the other guys just don't have it, a guy like Cade has to take over and try to do it. And, and he did for a large part. He had uh, 26 points. He did have the seven turnovers, which is a problem. Turned the ball over way too much. Just got careless with it at times. And Carson, I do think we should know, we were asking last week, where has Isaac Likely's offensive game gone? And then late last week, we get the story about his foot. He's basically playing on, uh, on one foot out there. and He's dealing with what sounds like it's a pretty decent injury. So a lot of times there's stuff like that going on behind the scenes that we don't see. But again, last night he did get to 10 points, but it took him 13 shots to get those 10 points. So uh, he, he didn't give you a ton on the offensive end again, but it, at least now we know he's dealing with a foot injury and that probably has a lot to do with why his games dipped off about the past five games. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. That was my next point was, you know, likely he hasn't looked himself. And I think that the, the injury I think has to be a part of that. He was better as you mentioned, but they really do need more out of him if they're going to beat teams like Kansas and, and win more games down the stretch. And, and you hit on it, the, the turnovers just continue to kill Oklahoma State. They have had 18 turnovers in three of the past four games. And that's been really hurting them, the turnovers. I, I, that comes down to coaching. I think Boynton's got to rein them in better on that. And again, I think Cade has seven because he is trying to make the hero pass out of double and triple teams a lot of the time. And that's – Yeah, he's getting swarmed too. We he should really be, is. He had seven turnovers, but how many times did he get one step inside the three-point line and the two defenders on either side both came at him? So he's he's playing kind of in a hornet's nest anytime he gets inside the arc. Exactly. It's – he's dealing with a lot. And to me, the turnovers are the biggest issue with this team. And for me, it's also the, the long – dry spells they ha they have and in, th in this game they had dry spells of five minutes five minutes and four minutes without a field goal that's just I think Boynton needs to do a much better job of of getting them some easier looks obviously Cade's going to be swarmed but they just they, they tended to just settle for threes and maybe that's part of the fatigue factor I mentioned earlier but the long spells and the turnovers are really what's what's really hurting this team 
Yeah, I think so, too. The turnovers, especially early in that game, it was sloppy on both sides. Uh, you know, Kansas actually finished the game with one more turnover than Oklahoma State, which I guess whenever you think about how many times they threw it away, makes sense. But, yeah, it, it's becoming a trend for Oklahoma State with the turnovers. And, you know, I'm always the first one to defend Mike Boynton. I think he's done a great job at Oklahoma State. But I do think at some point you have to – and I don't know what it is in practice that you have to do. I don't know what it, what it is mentality-wise that you have to tell your teams to get them to value possessions more because there were, I think it was two out of three possessions in the first half. I think one pass was an entry pass from Cade and one pass was an entry pass from Ice. And they were trying to just little entry pass on, onto the baseline on the block and just threw it over the guy's head out of bounds. And, and that's just not valuing possession. That's just being careless with the basketball. And, you know, when the score is 14 to 10, it doesn't really seem like it has that big of an impact. But at the end of the game, whenever you look up at 18 turnovers and you see how many points off of turnovers your opponent had, I think that that's really starting to eat away at some of the strides we saw Oklahoma State making over the past three weeks. Yeah, and that's that's frankly just going to get you beat on a nightly basis, certainly in the NCAA tournament as well. So they, they really have to focus on that and the, and the lack of – care for the basketball uh i thought colby that fans would have learned from the tcu game not to chant overrated at Cade cunningham and you know kansas allen Fieldhouse has this lore they're such great basketball fans and the student section i guess decided to start chanting overrated at Cade again in the second half and he went nuclear again in the second half so i would advise teams to not chant overrated at Cade because as we've discussed the overrated chant is stupid as a team, when you beat a team to chant overrated, just makes you look worse. Oh, so your win's not as good, I guess. And to chant it at the number one overall pick when he's just going off against your team. I just, I don't understand it. I think it's silly. And I, I thought Kansas fans were better than that. Yeah, I thought it was pretty, pretty weak and pretty pathetic, especially due to the fact that you are Kansas and you are unranked for the first time in 12 years and Oklahoma State comes into your house. I mean, Kansas was a six-and-a-half-point favorite in that game, playing against a team off two overtimes in a top-ten win with one day of travel. They come in. I mean, I really thought in the second half, Oklahoma State started to look gassed. Cade Cunningham still puts up 26 on you in your gym, and you're going to chant overrated. Kansas fans chanting overrated. Never thought I'd see the day. Well, I thought Bill Self summed it up pretty well after the game on post-game radio he was asked about the Kansas students chanting over it at Cade he said quote do our students watch ball I mean because that dude is good <laughs> yes so leave it to Bill yeah. the, the OSU alum to, to set the record straight with his own fans but disappointing loss but understandable given the spot that you mentioned but OSU did get a big win against Texas in double overtime this game was absolutely insane and Cade had a chance to win it in overtime by stealing the inbounds pass and missed kind of a bunny to send it to double overtime but then he just took over late and OSU got a really much needed win over Texas in double overtime in Stillwater 75-67 they outscored Texas in overtime uh, 16-8 over the span of uh, those two OTs so again OSU Five and five in conference play, but at least they did get a big win against Texas. Yeah, they did. That game against Texas was sloppy for a large portion of the game. I, I really thought that, you know, it was kind of a, a tale of two games with Caleb and Cade. I thought that Caleb, that Cade played somewhat poorly for the majority of the game Saturday and then played great Monday. I thought Caleb played you know, just kind of so-so for the minutes he was out there last night, but had the game of his career on Saturday. And I think what we can really take away from that game Saturday is, you know, 
regardless of how Cage shoots it for 39 minutes, when there's a minute left, he's still the guy you want shooting it because he just he didn't really have a shot on Saturday. But then when the score was 59 to 56 with just inside a minute to go, Oklahoma State had to have a bucket. Didn't matter if it was a two or three, had to have a bucket or Texas would have the ball with a chance to go up by five with about 30 or 35 seconds left. And Kate hits a step back three from the right wing, ties the game up. They end up going into two overtimes. He hits a big three in the second overtime that puts them up by four or five and they end up going on to win that game. And to me, that was the big one. Because if you would have lost that one on Saturday, guess what? You still would have had to play Kansas two days later with tired legs off of a loss, and then you'd be staring at four and seven in conference play. I, I think that was the big one Saturday against Texas. Gives you some wiggle room where if you can beat Kansas State and Iowa State in your next two games, that puts you at seven and six in conference with four games to go against Baylor and Tech and then two games against Oklahoma. If you could split those, go two and two in those four, then you could get yourself to nine and eight in conference play. Of course, the game against West Virginia. Virginia doesn't look like it will be made up. So the game against Texas was a big one, uh, and, and it was nice for Oklahoma State to come out on top in that one. Yeah, no doubt. You're, you're totally right about the stretch coming up. And I wanted to mention, you know, Avery Anderson was excellent against Texas. 16 points, 10 rebounds. He had 13 against Kansas. He's now scored 13 or more in three of his past four games. I think he's really starting to emerge as a playmaker at the guard position for Oklahoma State alongside Cade. And I think that's to me, one of the highlights of the past week is, you know, Avery Anderson was a highly touted recruit. And I think with M.A. Moncrief struggling the way he is, uh, I think Avery Anderson has really stepped up and really provided a lift for OSU besides besides K. Didn't, have you been impressed with him over the past few games? Yeah, I have. He's gotten a lot more aggressive, which is good. I think that at times he was too tentative and he's a pretty good scorer. And we saw it again last night. You know, he only goes one of three from beyond the arc, but he scores 13 points and he's a guy who can knock down his free throws. He was four or four from the line last night. You, you know, he's not a 90% shooter or anything like that, but he can make them. And I think Oklahoma State last night was probably their best game of the season from the stripe. They were 15 of 18 as a team. Now that's probably because Cade and Avery combined to take 14 of those 18. So I, I've been really impressed with Avery Anderson leaps and bounds from where he was at a year ago. He was great against Texas as well. Yeah, he, he really was. And you mentioned they got Kansas State and Iowa State, two absolutely winnable games. Those are two must wins, obviously. And then they have Baylor. It's to be determined. It's uh, February 20th is what the schedule says. They're having big time COVID issues. So I, I would think by then they'd be ready to play. But uh, that, that game certainly... Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. And then you mentioned Texas Tech and then Oklahoma and back-to-back games to finish the season. I wouldn't want it any other way. Bedlam, back-to-back, real opportunity there. I think OU is obviously playing great, but I think think Oklahoma State matches up well with them because OU doesn't have just some force on the block. Obviously, Kerr Queth is their big man, but he's kind of been phased out of the rotation for Oklahoma. They've been playing Brady Manick more. Uh, inside. So to me, the Oklahoma presents a really good matchup for OSU and perhaps a chance to close out, um, you know, the season in back-to-back Bedlam games. Do you like that? Do you like that opportunity? Uh, back-to-back Bedlam's in the year. That's going to be a super unique thing we've never seen before. Yeah, it's going to be really unique. I, I hate the way it ended up for one reason. My wife's birthday is February 25th. It's a Thursday. <laughs> It's, it's the first of the two Bedlam matchups, which means I will not be able to watch that game until the following morning. There's just no way that my wife's going to sit down and watch a basketball game on her birthday. So for that selfish reason, I kind of <laughs> like it the way it was. But two Bedlam games in three days? And, and look, I fully expect 
them to split those two games. Whoever wins the first one, I'm just auto, I'm auto betting the other side on that Saturday game. Uh, I think it's a good matchup, though. Like you said, Oklahoma's not going to dominate you inside. It's two pretty pretty guard-oriented teams. Some of those guys uh, for Oklahoma are starting to play really good basketball. So I look forward to seeing that matchup. And I wonder who they're going to have on Cade. I wonder who Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's going to have on Austin Reeves, who's their primary ball handler. There's a, a lot of questions that I have as to who matches up with who in those games that I think will be a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that will be a lot of fun. And again, Mike Boyden, when they beat Texas, was doing fist pumps and pumping up the crowd. That game really meant a lot to him. And we know that, you know, back when they were supposed to play Oklahoma, he, he had that locker room talk where he said, we don't like them. It's personal. So I'm looking forward to see Mike Boynton. He'll probably don the, uh, the orange sport coat like he usually does for Bedlam. That'll be, that'll be a ton of fun to end the year. Uh, before we do the Super Bowl review, I did want to get to Buckets and Bricks. Colby and I, I, I want to. I'll, I'll start with uh, my first bucket. And I, again, at Avery Anderson, you mentioned he's been very way more aggressive driving to the hoop. He, he has some really exceptional finishing ability at the rim. He had a really sweet reverse against Texas that I, that was just awesome. And so I, I wanted to give a shout out to Avery Anderson. I think he's really played well, provided a lift to the backcourt with the the seeming absence of Isaac Likely. I know he's been playing, but he hasn't been in himself. So. Avery Anderson, for me, deserves my bucket for the week. Yeah, I, I'm going to give a retroactive bucket because I fully planned on giving it to this guy Have we been able to record tomorrow. Since we weren't, I don't want to take it away from him. I, I thought that the reason Oklahoma State had a chance to beat Texas late was because Caleb Boone kept him in that game for about the first 35 minutes. He was unbelievable. Texas had no answers for Caleb Boone inside, and he was just – he played with so much confidence. He got the ball. He was going back up off offensive rebounds. He he looked great on Saturday. So I'm giving my bucket to Caleb Boone for his performance against Texas. He has some like legit post moves. He does. Like you get him on the block and he has some legit go-to up and under moves. And he really has some some game nice there. What's that? Yeah, a nice little hook shot. Yeah. Like you just I don't know where it goes. I don't, I don't know how they get away from that like they did against against Kansas. And obviously, he's playing a much better player inside in McCormick. I understand all those things. But but no, you're right. Boone was was awesome against Texas. And they, they need him to be like that down the stretch if they're going to win some of these games. Uh, my brick, no doubt about it, the overrated chant. It's uh -huh. dumb. It's stupid. It makes you sound like a complete inferior fan. And if I'm a Kansas alum in the building that night, while my student section is chanting overrated at the number one pick, I'm just like, guys, what are we doing here? Like, how entitled can you guys be? This is not what Kansas basketball is. So I'm, I'm going with the overrated champ. Yeah, I like that one. I think that's a good one. Uh, it it kind of hurts my heart to give out my brick today because I have said all year how much I love Fran Fischilla, and I do. I love having Fran on the Oklahoma State games. It, it is such a step up from some of the other commentators. But last night... I think Fran had to have spent about 80% of that broadcast talking about one of two things. Number one, just how much he loves Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga. He talked about it ad nauseum for two plus hours. That's all he talked about. And when he wasn't talking about that, he kept going on and on and on about Cade having bigger second halves than he has first halves. <laughs> it's like Cade would hit a step back three with eight minutes to go in the second half. And Fran's like, where's the shot at in the first half? I need the shot in the first half. <laughs> and it's like, boy, that's a, a really hard bar 
that you're that you're holding this guy to. And then he used Kevin Durant's 25 point first half performance to knock Cade that Cade like didn't do the same thing in the first half. And that's the standard for him for greatness at, at fog Allen Fieldhouse. And, you know, again, I love me some Fran, but last night I thought he just spent so much of the broadcast dwelling on things he doesn't like about Cade and things he does like about Jalen Suggs. And, you, you know, to touch on it for 30 seconds is one thing. I thought we got it for about two hours. So for, for all those reasons, my brick begrudgingly has to go to Fran. Yeah, I mean, he's a different player than Kevin Durant. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Kevin Durant is like one of the best pure scorers in the history of basketball ever, ever. And that's not like Kate scored 26. He's not going to go for 46 every night, especially at Allen Fieldhouse. And Brian Keating brought this up. He was like, if you're going to bring up great performances in Allen Fieldhouse, how are you neglecting Randy Rutherford dropping 45 and getting a standing ovation from the Kansas fans? Yeah, or Buddy Heald. I mean, Buddy Heald was unreal up there, what, four right. or five years ago? Yeah, so that's a good one. I'm Again, I'm glad we have Fran instead of Dan Dockich every night, but uh, that, that was a, a good brick as well. So let's talk some Super Bowl, Colby. I don't think I've been wrong, this <laughs> wrong, on a football game. In quite some time, certainly the Super Bowl haven't been this wrong. I just didn't see any way they could slow down Kansas City. I neglected, I overlooked the offensive line issues. I thought Kansas City would have a much better game plan to, to skirt those. But I got to give Tampa a lot of credit. They they really trusted their front four and they dropped coverage and just let their, their fast, truly athletic linebackers just close with their speed and just kept everything in front of them. And they, they really flustered Kansas City. I mean... Mahomes ran like 500 yards on scrambles just to get away from the rush. And, uh, man, I was way wrong. That game was not close. Tampa dominated. Yeah, Tampa did dominate. It was really kind of insane to watch what they did to, to Kansas City's offense. I think I underestimated, and, and I don't want this to come out wrong because obviously I understand the value of offensive line play, but I think I, I didn't give enough credit to the fact that Kansas City was going to be without its two starting tackles. And then I see after the game – that Tampa Bay had 38 pressures on Patrick Mahomes and uh, Kansas City had five pressures on Tom Brady. And, and that's the difference in the game. Brady was able to sit back there and go through his reads. And, I mean, he's Tom Brady. The, just the pinpoint accuracy and decision-making on every throw he made for three hours was there just like it always is. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes, his offensive line let him down. I, th I thought some receivers let him down. Daryl Williams, obviously, on, on the what would have been a highlight real play. It would have impacted who won the game, but I mean, Patrick Mahomes is down on the ground, like a shortstop sliding across the field, slings at 35 yards. And it literally hits Daryl Williams in the face mask. Maybe the best throw I've ever seen. And it hits him in the face mask and he can't pull it in, but it was, I mean, it was a beat down, which is not what I saw coming. So shout out to Tom Brady, seven franchises, uh, or pardon me, seven Super Bowls is more than any other NFL franchise. So Brady had seven, and then the Patriots, Steelers, Cowboys, and Niners are all shortly behind Brady. That's unbelievable. Brady, obviously, he was already the GOAT. When he went to Tampa, I didn't see any way they were going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I just didn't think they had the, the the team to do so. And you mentioned those pressures. The 38 pressures, they only blitzed five times. That shows you just the pressure they were able to get with their front four on, on that, that makeshift offensive line for Kansas City. Uh, also, real quick before we move on, if I could kind of relate this to Oklahoma State football, I saw a stat after the Super Bowl that Kansas City, with the struggling offensive line, 
ran five-man protection 92% of the time. So only on 8% of snaps did they bring someone else in to help the struggling offensive line. I found that number really interesting because obviously we've seen Oklahoma State struggle with that so much over the years. So you and I especially have had a lot of conversations about do you keep more guys in to help block? Do you send them out so they can get out into routes and and you can kind of create more space across the field? And Kansas City went with the latter option and, and they got torched. Yeah, and I I think that's where, you know, I've been saying this all year in that, you know, obviously they have Travis Kelsey, the best receiving tight end in the NFL. Obviously they have Tyreek, one of the best receivers in the NFL. But past that, their receiving core is not any good at all. I mean, you got a gadget player and Nicole Hardman, who was way too involved early on. Sammy Watkins is a shell of his former self. They really don't have a great receiving core past those two headline guys. And I think that show they could, nobody could get out. How many times did Mahomes drop back and just no one was open. So I really think they could draft a, a Tylen Wallace in, in the, in the upcoming draft. I don't think they need to draft him in the first uh, round, obviously, maybe even not the second round with his injury history. So they just, they need more receiving options. I, it's silly to say that about an offense that's that good, but I just don't think they have a great receiving core. Yeah, I mean, past Tyreek, I mean, obviously, Kelsey is a receiver. He's a receiving tight end. Sure. Kelsey Tyreek is about as good of a one-two punch as there is in the NFL. But beyond that, I mean, Sammy Watkins was good last year, but he had injuries this entire season. Demarcus Robinson's just a guy. I know Miko Hardman's really fast, and he's a great gadget player. But in terms of receivers, like actually lining up and running routes, Miko Hardman is just a guy. So I, I do think that that could be an area where Kansas City could improve. And then they've got some serious problems on the offensive line. Eric Fisher with that Achilles injury is likely out for all of next year. And then uh, there are some rumors that Mitchell Schwartz, who is obviously their great right guard, right tackle. I think he's the right tackle. Uh, and he's phenomenal, all pro caliber guy. There's rumors that his back injury could potentially be career threatening. Now, hopefully that's not the case. But if it is, we're looking at a Kansas City team that's going to be minus two tackles going into next season. And that will be another area that they'll have to address in the draft. So uh, I still think that they're in good shape with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes going forward. I still think they're going to win more Super Bowls together. But that's a tough pill to swallow whenever you've got all these guys right now playing such elite football, and then you completely lay an egg in a Super Bowl. Yeah, and all their studs are in their mid to upper 20s. So they, they have plenty more shots at it. And I don't think they draft high enough, frankly, to get Tevin Jenkins from OSU at, at the tackle spot. He, every mock draft I'm seeing now, he keeps moving higher and higher. He's right around the 20 range right now, which is outstanding for not only for him, but for OSU. And uh, so that, that's something to, to monitor for sure. Did you know this is the first game in Patrick Mahomes' NFL career that he's lost by double digits? Wow. No, I did not know that. It's, uh, it, I know it's the first game that he started in his career that uh, that they didn't score a touchdown. That's what were the odds on that? Do you, I, I didn't see that prop bet where I don't I, that prop bet probably didn't exist. You can you could have bet I think Kansas City scoring nine points, uh, which would probably would have yielded a, a high a high return. So you obviously had uh, something on the line here. How did your hedging go? You needed uh, you had. You had Kansas City winning the Super Bowl months ago, and so you wanted to hedge. Uh, kind of lay it out for me again and, and give me a refresher on how it played out. 
Yeah, so in August, I bet Kansas City, I put $100 on Kansas City at 6-1 to one to win the Super Bowl, knowing full well that if they got to the Super Bowl, I was going to hedge. I had no intentions of letting that bet ride. You know, the reason you bet the, the, the futures is so that if that team makes it to the Super Bowl, you get to hedge and you've already won money, so you can watch the Super Bowl knowing you've already won money. So then uh, I bet half the potential winnings of that on the Bucks plus three and a half. So if Kansas city would have won by one, two or three, I would have hit both bets uh, and really hit it big. But instead I just hit the Tampa bet. It worked out, still ended up profiting uh, with, with the juice and everything about two fifty. So uh, yeah, that was successful. And then I hopped in a squares game with some buddies and one of my squares was Tampa Bay seven, Kansas city three. So I was a huge fan of the Gronkowski touchdown Beautiful. at the end of the first quarter. So yes, the, the Super Bowl was very kind to me. Beautiful. Who uh, have you seen any Super Bowl futures uh, after the game? Who do you like next year? Uh, since the game, I actually haven't gone in and looked at the Super Bowl futures. Last I saw was before the game on like Saturday. Kansas City were the favorites at five to one. I haven't looked since. Yes, I have it here. Uh, Kansas City's the favorite, obviously plus six hundred. Yeah, I would it's, bet that again. I, I'll, I'm going to do the same thing I did this year. You might as well. Green, I'm gonna, green. Yeah, if green. they make it, I'll hedge again. Yeah, Green Bay plus nine hundred, Tampa plus a thousand, Ravens twelve hundred, Bills twelve hundred, Rams twelve hundred, Niners sixteen, Saints eighteen, and Seahawks at twenty two. Cleveland at twenty five hundred. The one I like the most is is the Colts at twenty five hundred. Oh, because they they have a team ready to compete. I mean, they I don't know how they lost to the Bills and Rivers is gone. If they were able to get a quarterback in there i like those odds at 25 you could probably get you could probably get better odds uh, somewhere else than where i'm looking but uh, that that one's intriguing to me just because if they were able to get a quarterback in there that's a that's a ready-made team yeah i just pulled them up on my side i see them at 25 i've got the browns at 20 where i'm at i know a lot of people around here like the browns please <laughs> please save your money and don't bet it on the browns to win the super bowl because that's not happening um I think that you're getting decent value with the Packers at 10 to one because they could come out of the NFC and then you could hedge on that one. I also think if you scroll down the list a little more, you're getting Baltimore at 16 to one. And I think that because of what Josh Allen and what the Chiefs did this year, people are going to be sleeping on Baltimore a little bit. If they get a good draft, get Lamar a little bit more help and continue to play elite defense, I think Baltimore is a serious contender to be there next year. Yep. I like that pick too. So. All right. No more football for a long time. Although I did see the FCS uh, level of college football is playing in the spring. So maybe we'll have to, uh, <laughs> we'll have to cover a little FCS football just to get our fix, but uh, that's it for uh, college and the NFL for at least the time being. Uh, you got one interesting thing before we get out of here? Uh, one interesting thing. That's a good question. You go first. I'll find one interesting thing. I'd forgotten yep. about it. I got you. Uh, the latest bracketology from Joe Lenardi is out. And at one point, Oklahoma State was about a seven seed. But right now he has them as the eight seed uh, going up against San Diego State. Uh, now they would play Gonzaga in, in the second round if, if that were to be the case. So I would highly advise OSU to win some games here down the stretch to avoid the eight nine game. Because, look, this season's been challenging with COVID. This is your one opportunity with Cade Cunningham. For me, this season really hinges for me on winning an NCAA tournament game. It has not happened since 2009. For Oklahoma State, that is obviously way too long. I believe over 100 different programs have won an NCAA tournament game since Oklahoma State has. Get to the tournament. Get a get a seed better than the 8-9 game. 
or even if you get the eight and nine seed, win a game in the NCAA tournament, to me, that would be a successful season for OSU. Yeah, I think so too. You you need to win a tournament game this year. If you get Kate in and you don't win a tournament game, I, I think that the season's probably going to be deemed a failure. And I don't know if that's fair in a single game elimination setting. And, and we're kind of putting some of the past failures of Mike Boynton's predecessors on him. You know, we're going to call his whole season with Kate a failure if he doesn't win one tournament game, the single elimination and anything can happen. That being said, it's just it's time. The, the, the failures of, of past uh, coaches, some, some of the failures, I don't even know, it's hard to call them failures. He had such thin pickings at uh, roster wise his first few years in Stillwater, but it's been so long. They need to win a tournament game uh, for me, Carson. I'll give you one interesting thing for my fellow college baseball fans. I love college baseball. February 19th is the opener for Oklahoma state against Sam Houston state. And then the actual stadium opens on Tuesday, February 23rd. We know there's not a basketball game that night because that's the night, or pardon me. That's the week that Oklahoma state plays Oklahoma on that Thursday. So get out to O'Brien stadium. If you can, uh, I don't know exactly how they're going to do that. I'm sure they'll, they'll handle it uh, as safe as they possibly can and still allow some people into O'Brien stadium. So I am, I am hyped to see the new the new baseball stadium in person. Too late to build a dome at O'Bright with this right. weather? No doubt. Have you been outside today? It's disgusting. It's awful. I'm going to try not to go outside today as best That's, I can. Uh, one of my buddies works at Topgolf, and I was asking if they wanted to do something like this weekend. He said he has to open on Sunday morning. So I sent him the uh, feels-like numbers, like the windshield feels-like <laughs> numbers, Sunday morning at 8 a.m. supposed to be like negative 29 feels like on oh Sunday morning God. in Oklahoma City. Ugh. Disgusting. No bueno. Yeah. Full week. I appreciate it as always. We'll get back with you uh, on Friday. Absolutely. Go Pokes.